Hey guys, thanks again for tuning into the show. Such an honor to have you here. I'm really thankful to have your support. Now, if you're new to the show, just to let you know, my aim is to introduce you to concepts, solutions, innovations, personalities, and the people that are all in the realm of sustainable and or more responsible business. And today, my guest is a longtime friend of mine. His name is Mike Hill. Mike is a consummate entrepreneur who really is on a mission to make the world a better place. Ultimately, I think Mike is a craftsman and he just loves to build things. He's the founder and the head of AOSA Image in Huntington Beach, California, which has become the sort of sustainable display go-to shop for many of the brands here in California who are looking to lighten their impact when it comes to signs, displays, banners, etc. It always feels like Mike is one or two steps ahead of things and he's always got a new idea that he's pursuing or making a reality. And we spoke about building a business, learning from our, some might say, failures and uh, making conscious decisions in our business and ultimately looking out for the people behind the order, the ones that are doing the work for you. He's a strong advocate for the B Corp movement and he takes a really reasonable and rational approach to just doing business better. If you're lucky enough to meet Mike in person, you will immediately be pulled into his energetic and positive force field. But um, if you're not lucky enough to get that opportunity anytime soon, here's your chance to learn a little bit uh, more about, to learn from, be inspired by, and just get to know better my friend Mike Hill. Mike of AOSA Image and AOSA Coffee like I said, here in Huntington Beach, California. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Underswell Podcast. News, stories, brand insights, product reviews, all to help you navigate the complexities of sustainability in your modern lifestyle. As I like to say, business can be done better, and in some cases it is. I'm Derek Sabori, I'm your host, and hey, it's just sustainability. Let's dive in to today's episode. Welcome to the Underswell Podcast Radio Show. I'm Derek Sabori. I'm here with my good friend, longtime friend, Mike Hill of AOSA, the AOSA company, printing, displays, etc. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Derek. What an opportunity to be sitting across from you and uh, diving into this conversation. And um, I'm excited just to, to learn a little bit more about you. I feel like as I'm doing some research, I've known you for so long, but geez, there's some things that I didn't know, such as your, your master's program uh, attempt in Italy. Yeah, we can call it an attempt. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Mike, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, maybe kind of give us a snapshot of who you are now, what you do now, um, where the shop is located, and what, what kind of service you guys provide? Well, um, I would say AOS is an eclectic mix of, uh, we'll call it display, print, as well as coffee. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and retail. Yeah. Um, so it's the things that I truly do enjoy and love. Um, all located in Huntington Beach, California, right next to the open ocean and the wetlands. Yeah. So be able to participate in exploring the wetlands daily and uh, engaging the local community in an artistic space is where we're currently at. Yeah, your space is amazing. And what I love, I'm going to try to paint a picture for everybody, for our listeners here, because you walk in, you see the, the beautiful wood sign in the front, really craft made that you, I'm sure, made, that your shop made. 
but you go in and it's a coffee shop in the front and beautifully crafted and all wood tables and chairs and you've got your Sambazon um, kind of display going on in there and just all your um, wares and goods. Beautiful, really um, fine um, coffee service. But then in the back, then once you make it through, if you're allowed to, if you're not there for coffee, you go through the back and um, there's an, there's a whole different area and that's your display and that's your shop area, yep, right? Yep. And that's where you see all the, the um, displays and point of purchase displays and, um, and prints and banners and things that you're doing for a lot of brands that most of our listeners have probably heard about. Yeah, I mean, I, we were talking about this the other day in the shop and what AOSA does well um, and has been doing well is we start with companies that are smaller but have a soul. <laughs> Describe it's, that. Tell us what that means. So when I say soul, I mean, I'm talking about uh, Obey Clothing really, truly, I believe, had a soul, uh, especially when they first started when it was just three guys really trying to make it out of a silkscreen shop in the upstairs little cubby. Um, I think Tom's Shoes had a soul when it was Blake um, and Garrett and the first crew um, really trying to make it out of a little apartment in Venice. Um, all these companies really they started off with soul and i just love watching them watching them grow um crochet kids is the same way so we kind of partner up at that base level and we we help exemplify why that brand is different than the rest in the environment of store trade show um honestly just in their own unique space yeah when you go to their own business but you guys are also different than the rest so tell us about I mean, that's what I love and I'm so um, always intrigued by and inspired by is just how you do business, your commitment to doing business better, and anybody who asks for, you know, more sustainable print options or displays or just kind of thoughtful and responsible um, solutions, you're the go-to guy for that. So tell us about, you know, tell us about that model and what sets you apart and you guys are a certified B Corp and I just know that you are really committed to just doing business differently. Yeah, I think it, it, you got to... If you were working with companies with souls, you've kind of got to have one yourself. Um, and a soul, in my opinion, for a corporation means you have integrity um, and you have a purpose. So as a corporate structure, we have to adhere to certain bylaws and whatever else as just state of California. Um, but B Corp pushes that a little further. Um, but I believe the differentiator for us is the fact that I really care about the material aspect of things. Um, how it's going to portray refinement, how it's going to portray value um, to the end viewer and not just get it done, get it done quickly, get it done cost effectively for whatever the brand needs with some random super low price point that you can get in Mexico or China. I mean, we really do truly try to make something that's different and unique. Yeah. Really craft, uh, craft driven, almost artisanal uh, yeah if you will right yeah and I also you know the whole ecological thing it just makes sense it's going back to the lose use less energy use less water it's kind of like well that just helps everyone yeah it doesn't, it's almost like doesn't it just make sense <laughs> yeah. right use less resources <laughs> yeah it just just makes common sense right Good business sense yeah and good business sense because i as i've watched acrylic and plastics skyrocketing costs you know almost a three X over 10 years, you know, my pieces of reclaimed lumber and stuff have really gone up, but not to that degree. Yeah. Um, so it's just a long-term better decision as well. 
So take us back a little bit. Tell us how how did you start this? How did AOSA start? And what was your maybe what were your original intentions? I'm talking about business. I mean, you were you went to UCLA for yep. a, a business um, degree. So give us a little bit of background. You know, from from that point in between earliest days, where'd you grow up? Going to college, and then how did you make your way to AOSA? All right. Well, this is a good little long one, but I'll I'll, I'll abbreviate the story. Um, I grew up in Sierra Madre, uh, exploring the local mountains with my dad. Then moved down to Huntington Beach and started to rollerblade, which then I got officially annexed from all friend circles and started to skate. Um, <laughs> you were I forced s- into skateboarding. Yep, and surfing because I started to. Bo- I was a bodyboard rollerblader, and then. Just got straight shunned, so I became a surfer and a skater and a snowboarder. We can always edit out this part if you. No, want. no, this okay. is fine. This is actually has bearing on the rest of the story, <laughs> kind of. So, anywho, um, I got that down here, in Huntington. Started kind of being involved. Started building skateboards at age fourteen. Built a twenty-four ton um, laminator. Um, so I've always kind of Hang been on, in, rewind. You yeah. built, not the skateboard, but you built the laminator. Yeah, I built the, the whole thing that laminates. And this is why Mike Hill is here because Mike is not just your regular entrepreneur. Like Mike's come to me with these ideas that he's had and all the other things that he's working on too. So you, Mike is the kind of guy that if he's, rather than just go buy something, you're going to build it so that you can make your skateboards. <laughs> well, if I can't afford to buy it, I'll build it. <laughs> there we go. So you build, your, you build this multi-ton laminator. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. And by the way, Chet Thomas helped a ton on that because I remember yeah, Chet. kind of go, you know, one of the groms that go from like, Chet, how do you make skateboards? And he's just no idea. <laughs> and he'd look and do it for me. So it was a it was a group effort. It wasn't just me solo, like, you know, an Einstein guy in a garage. It was me just fumbling, asking questions to a lot of people. Um, so that's, that's the kind of start of me really intrigued with just taking a risk. And then, you know, life happens and I realize I have to go to school. So I decided to go to school for accounting because if I'm going to pay for school, then I might as well do something that I normally wouldn't do. Yeah. And, uh, which is a good lesson for all students, right? Yeah. I yeah. Like Cause I did, approach. cause I did, I'm an artist. I mean, I grew up doing art. That's the thing I like to do my whole life. I love doing woodworking. I love crafting environments this is what i've always loved but it ain't gonna pay the bills when you're looking at a solid career choice um as well as adding skills so i did accounting at occ um and then i transferred to ucla in the biz econ department which is kind of a hybrid mix between accounting business and economics so kind of top level uh micro level as well as uh we'll call it real world application for social dynamics and uh, that was great. Uh, graduated from there, which was, which was, I think, very difficult, but awesome. And then went on to a master's program in Italy in fashion. Um, and during this whole process, I noticed a lot of talent going to waste. Uh, you know, the best artists in the, the UCLA art program would be working at like Macy's in and out because they just couldn't sell their art, nor they want to. There was like a sellout mentality, um, consumerism mentality that is associated with successful artists so the best of the best weren't doing the best in the real world so the same thing happens in fashion um it just seems to be the case that those with the most talent um either get abused or utilized and then kind of cast aside Mm. so aosa kind of spun off of that journey um and we just took a risk as a as a company in the sense it was myself and my dad at the time really thinking that artists could make a living if we gave them the right platform to stand on 
So we developed kind of like a Zazzle modeled platform for skate and for surfboards to customize the boards um, and allow the artist really to showcase their work and then have the consumer choose it. Um, unfortunately, the barriers, barriers of entry were too high. It's just too costly to produce domestically when you're making skates for eight bucks overseas and yeah. my prints were five. Mm. So it just didn't, it didn't pan out. So I think uh, a, a cost analysis might have been appropriate before spending three years of my life. But as long as you're doing the cost analysis afterwards, at least <laughs> yeah. know, we, we don't, uh, what, what do you say? If you're not, um, if you're not winning, you're, you're learning. Yeah. Right. Is the other thing. Yeah. And I, I think uh, it was kind of cool because I, I believe I got kind of cornered into being an entrepreneur because I had rented a building. I'd built the presses, the big machinery to do this. I had procured the big printers, gotten loans. Um, I mean, I was neck deep. And then it's like, it ain't working. Yeah. And so uh, that's when we pivot. That's when you pivot. <laughs> and you call your buddies at wherever you know, and you say, guys, help me out. I'm going to drown. Oh, and that's humbling, right? It's not, oh. it's, it's not easy because you've got all these big ex- expectations, and you're telling everybody, yeah, I've started a new company. I'm so excited. And then boom. Hey, what happened to that company, Mike? <laughs> hey, where'd that go? Yeah. That's still there. It's an awesome Flash website, which will be a dinosaur and won't even work on the internet in like six months. So you pivot, and, and then but then from there, where do you go? Good question, Derek. Um, honestly, um, after any sort of, we'll call it massive impact to your reality, um, you have to make a decision to adjust course. This is personal. This is business. Um, you know, there's a unique kind of saying slash graph that says there's uninformed optimism, then there's informed pessimism, which is kind of your low spot, and then there's realism after that. So with a pivot, the only thing that kind of keeps me going is the hope at the end. Um, if I stay in that informed pessimism um, and I focus on this basically ship sinking missile that came in. Um, that caused the conversation to happen. I just, I just can't move forward. Yeah. Um, so where'd you find that hope? So the hope was great. It came from uh, the awesome crew at Opportunity Green, uh, Karen and Mike, um, putting on a conference with a very small, select group of people, um, and just showing that there's other people out there that care about good materials as well as things that are not toxic. Um, and that at that time was called Green. Yeah, because what year are we talking about back, back this then? 2008. 2008. 2009. Um, and this is really uh, what gave me enough stamina to push through those hard four years. Um, was it just having somebody kind of believe in what you were doing then? I don't know if it's so much someone believing. I would say is knowing that there's a group of people that believe in something greater than what was currently happening. Yeah. It, it, it's not an individual pursuit of... Hope is not individual, it's group. So you have to have a group. You can't just be like, you know, manifesting hope internally yeah. and then just flowing forward on a rainbow. So it's, you found you get you find a tribe. You find a tribe. Yeah. And did that did that help kind of launch then AOSA into its next phase? Yeah, I, I do believe so. I, I I didn't fully sync up with all the green stuff. Um I felt that a little bit weird in certain areas, but it did allow me to meet the right people that were more interested in the social aspect, which is ultimately what I'm super keen on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that launched us forward because that's when we picked up Tom's shoes. Okay. And tell us about what do you mean by that social aspect for so our listeners. I, when it comes to green, it was all about materials. So it's like, how can you find the more green material? And with that, it's like, you know, you're now you're taking old circuit boards and you're chopping them up and you're trying to make an old circuit board panel look good. Or you're taking sawdust and you're making it into this giant, dark, massive thing and how to make that look good. And it's like, how can you get more green? And it's kind of exhausting and there's so much <laughs> out there and the resources aren't super consistent and there's a lot of discouragement there. But when it comes to social, it's like dynamic. There's immediate results. I mean, you can give three people water and they're stoked yeah yeah and i i do find so much more drive off of that and that's right around when tom's was getting some momentum and we got introduced to them through an awesome crew called uh woodsmith at the time now they're called do good work corp um and we got brought in to kind of help out with the materiality of the brand um, as well as the build stuff and the print and that's ultimately what kind of pushed us over the edge to be a successful company because before that i was just you know, doing odd big window displays for Volcom or small things for Hurley or, you know, a one-off thing for Burton, but it wasn't Nike and whatever else kind of big brand had a, had a, a small selection of their product offering that was green. I would do a small thing for that, but mm. Tom's really had just adopted everything we did all at once. So they came in and gave you the biggest support and really that, that was your hook. Yeah. Right to to kind of keep the business moving forward. I'll keep it afloat keep in a lot afloat. of ways. You know, yeah. during a rough a rough time in our country's history, yeah. economically. Um, so yeah, I think that gave me hope as well for the future of the company. Um, plus, it kind of solidified the fact that I just really like working with small companies that are going to be called impactful within yeah. their communities. And that means it doesn't mean they need to be massive companies, but it means they need to be impactful. So, so is that, that to me, that almost sounds like at that, kind of at that moment, then you find your tribe, you realize that there's power in social impact brands like Tom's, and you sort of settle into your, your home, if you will, and say, hey, I think this is, this is what I'm, I'm meant to do. This is what I want to do. Well, I think in anyone's life, there's always going to be chapters. And I think in, in a chapter, you do need to be convinced this is what you're going to do. Otherwise, you're going to be consistently dissatisfied. But <laughs> I, I do truly believe that in everyone's life, the chapters need to progress. You know, you're not going to start selling insurance and then in 40 years retire from selling insurance. I think for me, that would just, just, just no. Um, so right now the chapter when I'm turning is, okay, solidifying how we can help smaller brands to grow, service the existing brands we work with, pass that on to kind of an employee run employee owned company and then move on from myself to education basically social impact type type projects because i i do believe that's as you get older you you truly have some stuff to teach when you're young i think it's time to learn mm. and then as you get old it's time to teach but you're so, not old yet i'm old ah. Derek. look at me <laughs> i've got Slim gray hairs. You have no gray hairs. <laughs> Mike, what, um, tell us then. So I know you're, you're passionate about the B Corp movement too. And I mean, this, you know, that's the whole point of this podcast and is just sharing stories like yours and kind of proving that business can be done differently, mm. that it can be done responsibly, that it can create, um, that it can be inspiring and that it can be 
business can be can be the you know can force change you know i really i think it can or could inspire change so you do that but i know you're you're a big fan of what b corp does and you guys adopted that model tell us a little bit about how that's been what that's been like and when you made that decision awesome well i highly recommend b corp um, validation or certification for anyone i mean if you're running a two-man team making stickers or you're doing six million waffle makers it doesn't matter what you do how you do it i think just the process alone gives you so much insight into healthy metrics um it's totally worth the time yeah um it it <laughs> b corp people will not like this one but it it's worth it even if you don't get certified i agree uh, and, and i have my thoughts on why tell me why you think that to belong to any organization, there's going to be some requirements. And those aren't necessarily bad in themselves. There's an accountability component. Uh, B Corp sends out auditors. We had a group in our shop that really helped us to see certain things. Um, but I truly believe that the, the monies that it costs, especially for a large, large corporation, it's not, the return isn't there, um, unfortunately. Um, so that would be my main thing why finalizing B Corp. Now, if you're small, I think you just get it. Yeah. It makes total sense. But for larger corporations, uh, it's, it's harder for me to make that stance. Um, and maybe if I viewed it more from like a give back, like, you know, you're helping push the movement forward, which B Corp really is, I could potentially get behind it if I was a CEO of a very large corporation. But it's a, it's a tough one. Um, B Corp's a very tough not to crack as a large corporation, but it does help untangle a lot of the mess. So, and even because just like you said, though, the process, even if you have a low score, what that assessment though is doing is providing a roadmap for you. So in a sense, you pay for a strategy, right? So there is your strategy right there. Even if you get a really low score, well, get a better score and you're going to have a great sustainability and social strategy, right? Yeah. And I think, I guess there's, as I'm thinking about it and um, from a small company, it's a no brainer. It, it's worth the investment of time. It's worth the investment of money. It gives you some clarity of why you're doing what you're doing. Now, from a big company standpoint, maybe it's more of a buy-in thing where a big company is saying, I put my dollars on this. Um, and I think that's good enough to start with. Um, but I would recommend B Corp to any company, any company size. It's just, I know a lot of big companies that have dropped B Corp or have not gone with B Corp because of the costs associated. Mm. And, but they've invested in doing the activities and there's kind of a mindset of like, well, I can do it without them. So I don't know how to get that to work together because I'd like that. Well, that's always, I feel like that's always the argument with any certification, right? It's like, well, we can do that without paying for, you know, the $10,000 for the certification or having to pay somebody to watch all the transaction certificates or mm. et cetera. So how for you, even like messaging that to the consumer, how do you bridge that gap between a company who says, hey, you know what, we're doing all that. We just don't want to pay for the certification versus somebody who's like, hey, you need that. You need to be a part of the movement. Put money into the into the into the pile, if you will, to help create this movement, because if we don't. Where, how do you bridge the gap between those two ideas? This is a tough one. This goes back to personal personal preference. I mean, are you... A, 
It's going to sound awful. Are you an arrogant man that says, I can do it by myself? Or are you a man or woman that says, I need to do it collectively? Yeah. I think there's a humility in wanting to be a collective member. The commons. The common to push it forward. Um, there can be arrogance there too, but there's definitely something at work when it's, I'm going to do it on my own. I can handle this. Don't need, that, I don't need the, that certification. And hey, trust me, we're doing it any, We're doing it already. Yeah, there's something about that that I naturally distrust when I hear that from a customer mm. or a vendor or anyone else. It just strikes a chord in me personally. So that's why I couldn't do it from a corporate standpoint or from an individual standpoint. Like, you know, even getting health permits for my coffee shop, it's like, oh, I know health code. I can just do it myself. Similar thing. There's a reason all those checks and balances are in place. Yeah, there's an absolute reason. And I think you've got to buy into it. Otherwise, the whole system disintegrates. And if the whole system is not reinforced, then it disintegrates. I mean, that's going to be hugely detrimental from an accountability standpoint, from the consumer side. I mean, how's the consumer going to have any faith in anything at that point? And then it gets complicated, though, because then consumers are like, well, but, you know, I've heard that there can be cheats on these audits and you can't trust them. I mean, and there's audit fatigue and certification fatigue and which certification is better. So it's a complicated uh, tough. conversation. Yeah. And my reply always to students or anybody who asks, well, which one is better? Which idea is better? There's a phrase that I always use, and it's just it depends, right? It kind of depends on what your approach is, what you're looking for, what your vision of the future is. And so... I, I did another piece specifically on these certifications. I think they're valid. They're important because it just um, it creates more, like we said, checks and balances. And I, and I think it supports a movement as well. Well, I, I mean, on top of all of that, it shows kind of time as an entrepreneur is your money in a lot of ways. It can be both. But time is an easier way to show where you're willing to invest. Is it family? Is it innovation? Is it? production flow is it in relationships with your customers your employees or is it social sustainable projects so with certifications it kind of demands the attention slash time slash money mm-hmm. of your ceos of your entrepreneurs and that in itself speaks volumes of the corporation so if a corporation has a lot of certs it speaks to the corporally where they spend their time and money yeah yeah and a lot of those certs, especially B Corp, is about taking care of your employees, taking care of a transparent supply chain. So things that you'd want to know about as a consumer. Yeah, and even having having balance and having equity and diversity, yeah. you know, from your employee structure, management structure, your board structure. So it's uh, it's really cool. Mike, I want to um, I want to shift a little bit and ask you. So I mean, we were talking about it before we we started. But what are some of the things, you know, people are like, hey, great, I love it. I, I totally love the philosophy and the ethos of, of your company, of AOSA. What in your processing or processes, manufacturing processes, is different or sets you or that's unique? How, what, what would, um, you know, justify you or, or classify you as a more sustainable print hmm. shop, if you will? What are some of the things you're doing? You, you told me a little story right before we started. Oh, goodness. Well, I mean... <laughs> I wouldn't call myself a pack rabbit or a pack rat. Yeah, that's the right term. I like rabbit. Rabbit. It sounds better. Yeah. Um, but I would say that I keep my eyes open for useful industrial waste. So we're doing a project right now with a brand and we're utilizing all scrap materials. 
um, something that I'm passionate about. One, because you can get amazing quality materials mm-hmm. and get them at a price that would be as, you, as if you're buying like PVC or something that's just going to be forever. Yeah. Um, and and two, it really takes something out of the waste stream. I think it's, that's just fun. Yeah. It's like, wow, this is going to be sitting on the earth forever or this was going to be chopped up and burned. Yeah. And it can become beautiful again. And it's unique, right, for that for that client, to, typically, if you're finding something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did a project for Liberty way back in the day, the very, very beginning. It was carpet scraps, framing scraps, and then the waste ink we used as our, as our stain because we used water-based inks. And it was awesome. So cool. It was so cool. And then uh, passenger rear-view mirrors from junked cars. Oh my gosh. It was so cool. <laughs> shout out to Liberty brand, uh, old brand. Uh, Isaac Nicholson was on the show not too long ago. He's got a great story, a real pioneer tier, but he had a great uh, sustainable brand called Liberty. Yeah, and Isaac was definitely instrumental. Like, we need to do this. Yeah. <laughs> I think that display cost me like $1,000 and I charged like 150 bucks for it. It was awesome. <laughs> so what What else? So you mentioned water-based inks. What's the deal with inks? Why are um, Why is it important to pay attention to the type of inks we use? Well, I mean, there's there's always major factors in any raw supply of whatever, um, where it's made, how it's made, and how it affects the person that's using it. Um, this goes for everything. Um, that's why, by the way, just a quick little side note, don't use pallet wood to make stuff because it'll straight kill you because they load that wood full of things that is meant to keep little critters from living in it. And if you cut into that without a respirator, you're just breathing, you're reactivating all those chemicals. Wow, it just releases them, right? It's just like death bomb. Are those the, those are volatile organic compounds that are just like... Br- Carcinogens. Carcinogenic. Carcinogenic. Jeez, okay. Yeah. Note uh, to you listeners. Yeah, it's just bad news bears. You can read about it on the internet. Yeah. Um, but anywho... Um, Going back to the question, why raw materials matter, in the case, this case, ink, one, you spill it in your hands, it's not going to burn your fingernails off. That's always a plus. Hmm. Um, two, you get done working, you don't smell like you just walked through a chemical bath, bonus for if you're married. Um, number three is disposability. Like, what do you do with a giant chem bath? Silt screen had to deal with this. That's why it's mostly not around anymore. Mm-hmm. Is because you had a lot of heavy metals in it and a lot of dangerous stuff. So you just there's there's a lot of things that goes into why there's decisions for healthy raw materials. But the biggest thing for me is is the user, as in the employee, is not going to wreck them. Yeah. Now the end consumer, there's some compromise the end consumer has to make because water bases tend to take multiple processing steps. UV inks, um, you know, they don't tend to have as much grip as the solvent stuff. And there are solvent UVs as well. So it just depends on, performance-wise, they're usually not as good. Um, But, and they require a lot more processing steps. So with that, you know, I just chose to do it mainly for an experience standpoint, Mm -hmm. you know, as as a user. So Mike, with that, with that said, with just even if people, if I'm a, if I'm somebody who's building something, wants something from you, is there sort of a ideal set of criteria? If you were to kind of build a quick guide for somebody like, Hey, here's what you want to ask for from your printer. Let's say somebody is mm. listening to this in an area they can't get a hold of you. 
what do they ask their printer or their shop for in regards to base materials, the inks they use, etc.? Well, it's an interesting question in the sense of the real, I think the real question is how do you ask the right kind of questions to enact change within your local business community, in this case, printing? Um, that's a good question. And, and how you how do you push things forward? I believe it's just transparency of materials. If you just say, hey, dude, like I want to order business cards. Can you tell me what kind of paper you're using? Yeah. Oh, I'm using whatever. 10 pound cover or whatever it is. Um, cool. Well, where's it made at? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Where does it, where, where does it come from? Where does it, it come from? Where did like, those, which I trees? don't know. Yeah. And then I, I, I do believe there's a lot of honest ignorance in the sense of they just don't think about it. It's like, you know, you got a good supply of paper and you're going to keep buying paper and it's reliable it's on time the price is right the price is right and i can sell it and it performs well my presses and oh wow this is great sure but unless the right kind of questions are asked in a healthy way not like hey you know i'm angry already before i've talked to you and i'm just mad because the world sucks and it's going it's just burning yeah so when i talk to you i'm like you better use this paper you better use this ink i don't think you're going to get any response from any printer but if you're more of like curious, like, can you tell me where stuff comes from? Some guys know, know it like the back of their hand. Mm-hmm. You know, I use a Mohawk, recycled cotton, whatever. And yeah, that's great. You know, game on. You know, hey, where is it manufactured? Well, actually, I don't know that. So I ask probing questions that help the person that is producing get healthy responses from who they're buying it from. Because not too many people are making their own paper than printing it. Right, right. So I think that'd be... The first thing I would do, the second thing I would do is I would go to the printer and I would see how the employees are treated. And you can see if people are happy or not happy. If the employees are beaten down, that's a clear indication that the shop's not run well. Mm. Clear. Yeah, yeah. You can also see it by the cars in the parking lot. If a lot of the cars look wrecked and run down not a good thing not to say you should not buy older cars but there's a certain pride of ownership within vehicles that translates to craftsmanship Mm. which is interesting yeah yeah so those would be the kind of weird side things that i do from like a as i choose because i don't print paper i print uh like natural cotton i print wood i print glass i print aluminum um I print three-dimensional aluminum. I do steels. Like paper, we don't we don't touch uh, in our shop um, for multiple reasons. Um, but one of it is I don't have the space to put a big press in. Yeah, yeah. Even though even though you would probably make it on your own. Yeah, just try to <laughs> try to build a giant press. I, I can do this. And and what about inks, uh, inks, chemicals, and um, you know what are they what are they looking for? The interesting part about this is. It's kind of like it needs to perform. Mm. So, I mean, going back to a story that listeners weren't a part of in the sense that Derek used to have a car that smelled like a taco truck. Um, if it's not working, it, it, it's not good for anybody. Yeah, no matter how much of a green story it is. Right? Yeah. This is my old Mercedes wagon that I ran on vegetable oil, which my mechanic warned me to continue to flush the lines with regular diesel but i was so stubborn because i wanted the eco story back then that i wouldn't and it 
burned out the the pistons and clogged all the lines, and I had to get rid of the car. Yeah, so I mean, printers need to stay in business. So we need good solutions from a raw ink supply standpoint. Now, where's that going to come from? It's going to come from the consumer demanding it. But the printer is kind of a rock and a hard place. You know, it's it's they can't make ink. The ink manufacturers they go, hey, this is an ecological ink, and then qualify that. So that's going to just happen over time. And I do believe this is where government regulations have really pushed the envelope because, you know, we have to start doing more when it comes to emissions, when it comes to exposure risks in communities, especially close to the open ocean. Mm. So it's just naturally going to evolve as the, the rules and requirements get more strict. Um, and that's going to stimulate growth, just like with a catalytic converter. So just a quick, we'll call it a nutrition sheet for choosing the right paper, ink, and materials. Perfect. Um, focus on the materials first. Um, inks are not as important as the materials because the inks have to perform on said materials. Um, I use water-based inks personally because I do not like strong odors in the shop. When it comes to vegetable-based, water-based, soy, solvent, UV, once again, it's a performance solution. You need to have some. It's going to work for your customer on the material they select. So if you select the right material, most likely it's going to have the right kind of ink. Um, if it doesn't have the right kind of ink, it's going to smell terrible. And you're going to say, take this back mm. and push it on the right kind of, with the right kind of ink. So focus on materials. And it also doesn't make any sense as the as the buyer, let's say, to demand a certain type of ink and tell your printer to, I only want vegetable ink. And they're like, it's not going to work on that material. And, you know, to demand something that may not be the best fit. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the best example of that would be like, you know, I want styrene, the most toxic, gnarly stuff on the planet with vegetable-based inks. You can't even do that. Yeah, yeah. Like, it doesn't make sense. Now, you can say, I want styrene with UV inks as opposed to, say, a heavy solvent, yeah. that's doable. Yeah. Or a vinyl decal, you know, you know, UV print it. It's the, the best of all the evils, you know? Yeah. But if you focus on good materials, like I want cotton, you know, rigid cardboard stock, they'll just print it with UV because that's the way you do it. Got it. <laughs> um, so shifting real quick, even back to the front of the shop then. So, you know, you've got your print store, you do coffee as well. So we can come in there and you've got a great coffee. Tell us, give us a little <laughs> insight into your into your coffee journey. How did the AOSA Front Shop come about? Well, so when I rented my building, uh, we had the option to rent a front retail location. Um, I chose to do that. One, because I wanted a front door. And two, I had the idea of doing a socially conscious or centric clothing store. So all the brands I worked with at Tom time were like Tom's Shoes, Obey Clothing, Crochet Kids, 31 Bits. Um, brands who were giving back had a soul yeah, like you said yeah. Jedediah I mean it just all these rad brands um, so we exhibited them it was like a museum showcase it was beautiful big old floating Tetris blocks with hanging glass and you know it's just so cool and uh, the store failed horribly how long did it last though? it lasted three and a half years it didn't fail you learned yeah uh, yeah. I guess the fa- that's, that was pretty self-deprecating but yeah, I would say that it, uh, <laughs> it it was a learning experience. Yeah, it was like a master's degree um, in retail. But what spun out of that was me really wanting to engage the community in conversation, and that's where the coffee shop came into play. 
Um, I'm a tea drinker. So that was an awkward thing. Um, try to find. Was someone. it almost Aosa Tea Shop? <laughs> well, I really wanted to make a hot chocolate and tea bar, um, but it just doesn't seem to be popular in Orange County. So that shot that down. Um, I was learning from my previous mistakes, and I was actually seeing what my customer would pay and mm. want. Um, so we opened the coffee shop up after a lot of learning, uh, tons actually, um, and it's always kind of struggled. I think mainly from a location standpoint. Also from a management HR standpoint, it's just uh, retail in general is very, very difficult to create a healthy team mm. because the monies aren't there for long-term employment, yeah, yeah. at least prospectively. Yeah. I think Trader Joe's is changing that. I think Starbucks is changing that. Um, Walmart's changing that. I mean, these big dogs that can really, I think, by volume, reward a select group to keep that core stable. So that it can grow. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you just lose your people. Well, I would just had a friend who just got her online degree from uh, Arizona State, I guess it was, oh, from Starbucks. the Starbucks program. So yeah. it really happens. It really exists. What um, Are you able to apply the same principles that you do in the print shop to the coffee shop? I mean, once again, once you've been built a certain way based on experiences, I think it trickles through. Yeah. So, you know, the shop's made out of reclaimed teak and all these other fun things because we built it. But going to the actual product offering, you know, local sourced, companies with integrity, companies with souls. And we actually dropped one company because they basically appeared they didn't have a soul. Mm. Um, and we were like, this isn't good. This isn't going to be good for the coffee taste. It's not going to be good for us in general. So we dropped them. Um, now, I love the guys that worked for that company. I, I enjoyed it, but as a corporate structure, I couldn't stand behind it. Yeah. Um, so the coffee shop exemplifies a lot of that. When it comes to organic and fair trade, like, you know, we choose to well, add organic milks. We choose to buy certain things uh, that are organic that I feel are actually contributing to the movement. Uh, there are certain things that I feel are kind of like, you know, not... This just a stamp that someone paid for. Mm. You know, I think we don't need to talk too much about vegetables and fruits, but this, some of it's kind of a scam. Um, so it just depends on what the situation is, if, if I vote for it by purchasing it or not. But ultimately, we try to do our best in the front. Um, trash is a huge issue. Um, how do you sort? How do you recycle? We implemented a trash system in our whole mall. Uh, that's just basically cardboard and then mixed stuff. And even then, it's just frustrating. It's not, you know, I'm throwing away all those awesome coffee grounds. It could be in compost. Yeah, that seems to me. I have another another friend in coffee business, and he's always asking me, like, where can I put these? Where can I put Dude, these? What can you do with these? It's just, just so, you walk out in the weekend, and there's just stacks. And you're a small shop. I mean, plastic imagine. cups. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm going to lose my mind. Uh, like, overflow trash can in front of the shop of cups. So I, this is definitely something that's been on my mind. And Companion, it's a client of mine. We're talking about doing a cup-free cafe. Um, so we might just try to do it ourselves where they just, you won't come with a cup, you get a cup. If you don't show up the second time, you get charged for it, you know, type thing. I don't know what we do. I don't know if there's a force here uh, to kind of get the consumer in line. Uh, but it's like the paper bags. It's like reasonable grocery bags it's just a breaking a consumer mentality where the yeah. consumers not voting for it themselves already it's tough to make them vote if not impossible so i don't know the solution here but the cafe is definitely a uh, like world war ii ground for 
actual implementation because you yeah. have the whole gamut of people and you have a lot of issues to deal with from an ecological sustainable standpoint. I mean, on every level. Yeah. And you don't have a ton of money behind your margin, which is weird. Which paints the reality of the, uh, of the picture, right? It's not always easy to do the right thing and to do things, to do things well. Yeah. And sometimes it's not possible in the current marketplace. That's right. Um, Mike, what is, what's next for you? What inspires you? What's next for you? What's next for AOSA? And where's your, uh, where's your head at these days? Cause I know you're always thinking of something. You have any, anything to share with us for what's, uh, what's, what's yeah. up next? Yeah. I mean, this is exciting for me. Um, once again, I'm really excited about, uh, spinning the companies into employee run companies. Um, I think that'll be very successful. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I, I am recently a diabetic type one. So adult onset juvenile diabetes, which is, awful um so that's kind of given me a passion for basically diabetics in general mm-hmm. um how you enact healthy change in one's life how you enact um lasting progress within a community with i mean a lot of the members of the said community they have type 2 which is different than mine but it's still s- similar enough to where the 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 solutions are are obtainable but difficult so I'm excited about engaging that community. I'm excited about education when it comes to um, basically robotics. I think drones are gonna become so prevalent and they're gonna become potentially become pretty evil. So I'd love to be in that space. Um, just overall, just be involved in the progression of where I see things could go potentially horribly wrong for our society, which would be medical as well as education. Like I just wanna be in that space. I get, get excited about it. It's just something that I'm not super skilled in, um, but I have a lot of experience. Yeah. Um, and I think it'd be worthwhile next chapter. Um, it doesn't mean I would leave my companies. It would just means that I would enable those that are in the company to, to reap a higher reward standard so that it can keep growing. Yeah. So I don't know how to do all that, but let's just you'll give it a fig- whirl. But you'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, and I think, Mike, that's what's so awesome about you is you – get your idea, you tackle it, you make it a reality. And what you're doing is improving the world and improving those around you. So thank you and good luck in your future endeavors. If um, I, th- I know, Mike, you're always up for a conversation. You're always there at the shop, cup yep. of coffee. You're a true renaissance man, though. I mean, just from the years I've known you, just the different conversations we have and all the things that you're interested in and talking about robotics and the drones and medical and learning i know those are um, those are not just far-fetched ideas for you i know mm-hmm. you'll probably find a way in there and uh, and do something spectacular so and you're a you're a new husband so oh uh, yeah i guess i just got married to an awesome woman named kiana she's great she actually took over the coffee shop <laughs> kiana yay thank you well uh congratulations mike on everything and go give mike a visit at aosa if you're in the huntington beach area if you need great um quality display work print work on anything besides paper yeah Uh, mike's the guy and we've um, we did some beautiful racks for cosm some clothing racks i took in a metal rack to him and i said hey make this rack but just not out of metal make it better make it make it look cool and they're beautiful and they're these custom clothing racks that people just go gosh what are these where did you get these how did you you know and it's it's mike hill it's aosa Yep, and it's also the team too. I mean, I think there. Yeah, has you to guys be. have a great team, yeah, and it's yeah, yeah, your people are great. So, 
Good job, Mike. Congratulations. Thank you for stopping by and making time to share your story with our listeners. Thanks, Derek. Okay, buddy. <laughs> Good talking. Good talking to you. To hear more stories like this or to learn more about our host, visit theunderswell.com.